0: kick all trouble out the Beat out trouble and Beat out trouble and
1: Welcome trouble to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Welcome Dale Bridge, Empress Dowager. How <laughs> art thou? I'm reasonably well, Joe. How are I've you? I've noticed you're a bit Bit frisky this, this afternoon. Yeah, well, you know, you've that'll been you've been, into, you've been harassing the guest. I know I caught both of you in the uh, smoking <laughs> yard. I know you smoke. I hope Jim doesn't.
0: Well, well I, I couldn't give him one,
1: unfortunately. He couldn't so give he, it. You had none left. He wasn't uh, smoking today. <laughs> he wasn't smoking today. Well, our guest is Mister Jim James Green. <laughs> g'day why have you
0: got a hat on in the studio? Uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm not telling. That's, You're not uh, telling. That's, that's, that's a good
1: beginning. That's a good <laughs> beginning. Yeah, yeah. I, I always worry about people who wear hats indoors. My mother told me, never trust a man or a woman who's got a hat indoors. Oh, really? you know? Yeah. But she was old-fashioned. Yeah. Now... We only ask two questions, you've got 55 minutes to answer, very (laughs) simple. Uh, If I get a bit obnoxious, Dale will step in and smash me around the ears, that's (laughs) her job. She does all the technical bits and pieces, and if she feels like asking questions, she will. Now, just to orientate our listeners,
0: what year were you born? 67, so you know what that means? No. It means I had my 50th last year. Yeah, nice. Yeah, no, nah, nah. Nah, that's what I thought. Nah, I couldn't nah. believe it. Nah. I'm still in shock. Did yeah. you do anything for it? Well, I tried not to, but people found out and just <laughs> did yeah, something no, on my, my behalf. Yeah, you've got to
1: celebrate <laughs> your 50th. You really have to celebrate your 50th. Because yeah. if you don't, people think you're a curmudgeon.
0: Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And what do they do for you? For your fiftieth birthday, party? Oh, they put on drinks down drinks? the road next to a uh, pub next to Foe, yeah. Oh right. And, and right. showered me with presents.
1: Shower you with presents? Yep. But you're not
0: a material man. What did they shower you with? What type of presents? Oh well they're good. They know me very well. Yeah. The one I remember in particular was um A selection of boutique dark ales. Ah,
1: very good. That is a good present. (laughs) Very good present. present. Absolutely. (laughs) You did very well there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I'm partial to dark ales. Do you remember the old... Well, look, I'm 17 years older than you, so you can relax. But in the good old days, when we used to travel through New South Wales as a youngster, they had this funny law that you could turn up at any pub on a Sunday... Tell them you're a uh, traveller and they had to serve you alcohol.
0: Wow. Oh, that's great. um, While we're on Dark Hours, I don't think we'll even get off Dark Hours if we've only got 55 (laughs) minutes. yeah. um, yeah, I grew up in Adelaide, and that's a city that doesn't have much to recommend it except, of course, Coopers. Yeah. Uh So I was onto Coopers long before anyone else. was that, Stannington yeah. Avenue up in the eastern suburbs you of Adelaide. You, you made it popular. You gentrified Coopers, did you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're very proud of Coopers, and yeah, uh, there's yeah, so many yeah. superb dark ales these days. But of course, <laughs> Coopers was the original. But um. Yeah. Then uh, Cooper's has gone all right-wing, or maybe they were right-wing from the start. And yeah, they were a guy strong. called Tim Cooper's has been actively promoting yeah. the idea to dump all of the world's high-level nuclear waste on Aboriginal land in South Australia. That's all right. So we have had to boycott Cooper's. Really? Yeah. I mean, that must have been that must.
1: That's what I call real devotion to Judy. You must have been ter- Must have been horrendous. Yeah.
0: Well, it is. I mean, you can go into a pub and find a dark beer, especially if you're prepared to pay, you know, nine mm. or ten dollars for mm. it. But yeah. in bottle shops, it's, you don't have quite that range yeah. and it has been pretty traumatic. I, have I, to say. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Look about
1: Adelaide. That's very funny. I actually just spent my holidays in Adelaide. Ask me why. Why did you spend your holidays in Adelaide? <laughs> it's the only place I could find accommodation over Christmas. Oh, really?
0: Because <laughs> no one wanted to go there, which kind of confirmed. Well, I had a wonderful time. You know, yeah.
1: I had a wonderful time. You know, boredom was—I was looking for boredom, and I actually found it. It was really good. You know. Yeah. Now, now, what's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? What's your first memory? Uh,
0: that I was a witch and could fly to the ceiling. Really? And how old uh, were you? About one or two. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, also, me and my twin brother. Uh, once my mother locked us in the hall while she had a shower before we went out and uh-huh. we managed to get out of the hall and into the laundry and find the shoe polish. And how old were you? <laughs> two we would three? have been two. Two, yeah. and you found the shoe polish? <laughs>
1: what did you do with the shoe yeah. polish?
0: Yeah, oh, we covered ourselves. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, being twins, uh, we got up to all sorts. We were starting fires and trying to get on buses to Port Adelaide and yeah. all sorts of stuff at well, the age understand. of one or two or I three. I can understand <laughs> living in Adelaide it would have been horrendous. Yeah. The,
1: the, can, you swing, can you sing Swanee for us, Dave? Because, <laughs> you know, the old boot mm. polish, you know. Can you swing it, Yeah, sing no, it I'd rather not.
0: Why not? Well, how I love you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I used to think that um, dark ales tasted like sarsaparilla. Because yeah. um my late grandfather, he used to always put a dash of sars in his in his stout yeah. and he'd let us us kids have a sip of it. And yeah. so I grew yeah. up thinking that stout tasted like sars and yeah. so I got a rude shock when yeah. I tried it without it. Yeah. Oh well I mean it's a good idea. When I moved to Sydney, uh, they didn't have Coopers there very much, so it was uh Toey's black that's just right. got black. a bit of a licorice yeah. sarsaparilla type taste. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad Tooie's black. Yeah. That's what or we used old? to ask. Is it the old? Two years old. Two years old. The yeah, one, the one yeah. yeah.
1: Now, just look at me, you two. Look at me. What do I look like? You just mentioned the word two years." What do I look like? You should know this.
0: Well, you look like you should be on an advert for two years old. Exactly. Alice has one it. at eleven. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I remember as a young buck, I used to look at this old bastard. Oh, I never understood what it
0: what it meant until I grew up and got drunk myself. That's right. <laughs> and
1: now I look in the mirror and I think they should be paying me royalties.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: all right, Jim. It's that type of interview. You, you have your water, relax. Yeah. I couldn't believe. It. I said, "I look like that old bastard." All right, look more <laughs> serious. Did you go to primary school in Adelaide? Yeah, I did.
0: What was that like? And uh, high school Uh, Oh it was great Um, Me and Dale were just talking before we started about schools and dogs and everything And uh, I went to a fabulous state primary school Mm -hmm. And there were also incredibly good state uh, high schools in Mm -hmm. Adelaide But I didn't go to them I got a scholarship to go to uh, a horrendously elitist All boys school uh, let, Let's just go back to the primary school Did you have your brother same class or did they split you up Yeah we were always in the same, same class, class And we had cousins there as well So
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I won't do any Tasmanian jokes So yeah. you were <laughs> Shut up Dale <laughs> <So> did, you, <laughs> did you excel at anything in primary school Apart from lighting fires and blackening in your face <laughs>
0: uh, Oh, not really. I was fairly good at the schoolwork and fairly good at sports, right, and uh, right. I think I was uh, one of the four school or class captains Cast in captain. grade seven.
1: Oh, very good.
0: Uh, yeah, but I just loved it. As I say, you know, yes. there's so many, well, there are some great public schools, and I was lucky enough to go to one of them. We were, we were mad keen footballers. I still am, actually. Right. What, what type of football? AFL, uh, AFL yeah. Oh, so right. we won the state footy. Wow. Yeah. Championship. That's good. Uh,
1: what what position three. did you play?
0: Uh, I was full forward. Full I was forward. called a uh, artful mm. dodger. And uh, <laughs> in, in grade six, I kicked uh, sixty-four goals. So sixty-four goals. Yeah, I think mm. that's what I won on my epic. got to be that's some that's kind of record. So, it's all been downhill cool. since then.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no wonder you're trying to escape with your brother to Port Adelaide. Obviously, <laughs> you wanted to join the Port Adelaide uh, football team.
0: Well I have recently, I'm the uh, official timekeeper for Division 3 Women's Port Adelaide Football Club Nice. Whenever I visit Adelaide Which is is how often? Not very often (laughs) But uh, (laughs) but, uh, they get to play on Albert and Oval, the home of Port Adelaide And I get to sit in the the grandstand so it's all about as real as it can be
1: I did my best to keep out of Port Adelaide this time because I go to Adelaide pretty regularly (laughs) Yeah. It's the only place I can find accommodation, usually. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, getting back, so
0: what's this scholarship business? that you want a scholarship at the end of primary school? Yeah, uh, so me and my brother won a partial scholarship to go to St Peter's College, which well, is... you did, you kind of shared, you went half to the public yeah. school and half to the
1: private school.
0: Uh, we, uh, we paid half the fees. Oh, right. We yep. being my mother, yep. uh, who was uh, making chicken patties, So we would get mm-hmm. home to... Uh, Buckets and buckets full of half-frozen and half-unfrozen uh, chicken livers Sitting all around the place So yeah, it was right. pretty rough We certainly didn't really come from St Peter's College stock right. yeah, But yeah. we went to the school
1: But you were the cream of the public sector So they actually wanted to incorporate you And inculcate you with ruling class ideology, I see Yeah,
0: I would imagine so yeah,
1: yeah. So you got there what, what did you feel like when you got there? You and your brother Well,
0: I think all of this was coloured by... Uh, uh, the parents' divorce and right. some ugliness around that so that kind mm. of coloured everything right. but as for the school well absolutely they inculcate people with ruling class ideology but that's more a process of osmosis what they were really inculcating us with was maths and English and everything right. so we could get the best possible HSC or matriculation marks right. I don't know what they call it these right. days but yeah, yeah. Uh, so they were ruthless with that mm-hmm. and extremely effective at that everyone mm-hmm. else everyone there would have got a hundred points more than they would have if they'd gone to a, right. to a state school I think and yeah, how, religion as well I mean we started off with hymns and all that absolute nonsense well in
1: grade, grade seven you're doing hymns
0: or grade oh eight? in grade eight yeah I mean me, me and one of my early friends we just used to love belting up the hymns as loud as we could and I <laughs> I remember once someone, one of the teachers came up and congratulated us, and <laughs> the next week one of the teachers came and told us off. And <laughs> <laughs>
1: they finally realised you were taking a mickey out of them. <laughs> yeah. How'd your
0: brother cope? Uh, much the same, I think, okay. yeah. 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 I was uh, more of an academic performer. Right. Uh, him not so much, but um, yeah, no, that was yeah. all fine, I think.
1: Did he kind of get into trouble because your twins were identical
0: twins, or...? No, no. no. People say,
1: why aren't you as good as your brother?
0: Uh, he might have got a bit of that on the academic side of things, yeah, but yeah. Um, it was only by year eight I was striving for straight A's and sometimes oh. achieving that. By year nine I was getting suspended. You were getting suspended? <laughs> and year <laughs> ten getting suspended well, again. You didn't discover the opposite sex or something. Yeah, well, that was year 10. We had a, a day off, so we got a couple of bottles of Brandavino and oh, went up oh, to, uh, I remember went, went to Seymour <laughs> College, which was an all-girls school. We didn't have the day off, and uh. there was a world of trouble. For <laughs> world uh, of trouble. <laughs> suspensions and all suspensions. sorts Suspensions? Yeah. What did you do, you and your brother? Well, <laughs> we were only drinking brown divino. I mean, what's wrong with that? At the age of 14 or something, well, yeah. I pretty normal in Adelaide. Couldn't really see the problem. Oh, we got caned, too. You got caned? Oh, yeah. Nice. And that was physically yeah, painful. Yeah, Dale doesn't remember
1: those days. We used to get caned, ourselves. people. No, no, no. I was you the only only
0: girl in my school to get the cuts. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, congratulations. And it was over something I didn't even do. Oh,
1: well. Obviously, you would have done it anyway, so. <laughs> no, it just made me want to do it. to do it. So, um. You said it was a divorce, so it was quite acrimonious, was it? Yeah. right. right. Do you have any other brothers
0: and sisters? Yeah. Uh, um, my brother passed away a few years ago from right. cancer. Four mm-hmm. sisters mm-hmm. Uh, who were all still with us. And um, uh, going back a long way, there were half a dozen of stepsisters and brothers, right. none of whom I've seen for many, many, many years, right. but that was certainly part of growing up. Right. So where did your family originate from? Uh, Dad from Adelaide and Mum from Broken Hill, so Broken there was Hill, a, right. was and to some extent still is a connection up to Broken, Broken Hill, Hill and farming yeah. land and we would often go um on holidays up there. Right, stand on an farm. farm or something. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember those days. Those cheap holidays. Oh, yeah. they
0: were fantastic. We just used to absolutely love it too. Yeah, you just go wild. Yeah. What did yeah. you get up to? Oh, uh, we were sports mad, so it was a lot of, uh, you know, kicking the footies around sheep yeah. stations, but yeah. just being on the back of you and falling off the back of a yeah. all that sort of <laughs> experience that you don't really right. get in the city so much. E- exactly.
1: You kind of leave at sunrise, and you, as long as you got home at sunset, it was all right. You yeah, didn't have absolutely. A helicopter parents in those days. Yeah. You had to
0: look after yourself. All
1: right, so I assume you, you got a, a brilliant market high school? Yeah.
0: Yeah? Yeah. Um, so, uh but no real ideas of what I wanted to do and mm. uh, there was some level of encouraging people to think about it but it was a real added extra. No one was really forcing us to think seriously so mm. uh, I got on the conveyor belt anyone who got more than 450 out of 500 and hadn't really thought about it automatically did medicine yep, yep, yep. which is what I started to do and suffered through for, for three years. Three. So you did anatomy? Yeah, I think at one stage I passed two out of eleven anatomy exams. Yeah. yeah. Did you have Did you have your body? Yeah, yeah, there yeah. was cadavers. Yeah. and uh, and
1: about what six of you around the cadaver. I'm just reliving yeah. my own
0: my own past. Yeah, well, yeah, it was so. all a bit gruesome. I didn't enjoy it. I had a friend who um yeah. who didn't show up for his anatomy passed uh, the exam. Yeah, he not only passed, but he also went on to become the anatomy instructor. <laughs> <laughs> But then my other good friend, uh, who we called Horse, <laughs> uh, you know, he would go into the anatomy exam, and there yeah. would be a pin on the sci- t- sciatic nerve, and yeah. you had to write down what it was, and he would, P- down, P- he would write down he would write down arm, <laughs> and he passed. <laughs> he didn't pass. He went on to become no, an no, accountant uh, or something. It brings, back
1: <laughs> brings brings back memories. I remember six of us working over this poor old woman. She must have been in the mid seventies, and we started off in February, and. We kept dissecting for the whole year and you throw bits in a bin. Yeah, you mm. remember all that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm bringing
0: back bad memories. <laughs> I haven't thought about any of that for 30-odd years. I mean, that's one of the main reasons to get out of medicine was, uh, was pretty, pretty gruesome stuff. It is uh, gruesome, yeah, yeah. And for those of us who weren't terribly interested, it was uh, not yeah. a good yeah. use of a cadaver, really. No, and how
1: about the bottles before the uh, diseased organs? Do you have that in the anatomy class? Yeah, right? there
0: would have been all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> there was right. a museum full of oddities yeah, and all this yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: so you never made it into clinical...
0: No, well in the, uh, the last half of third year, yeah. uh, I was, uh, we were in the hospitals, but right. um, I just was not in a headspace for any of that, so right. I just passed my third year, right. having failed a couple of years along the way and done some repeating, but yeah. uh, by that stage I um, was not going to do it full stop. It's quite interesting. Regardless of whatever came afterwards. And again, yeah. I had absolutely no idea. I, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I thought I might be able to use three years of my medicine to do a science degree, but yeah. that didn't work out. But then um, a friend repeatedly said that I could use my three years of medicine for an honours in public health. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time he said that, it went in one ear and out the other. But after he'd repeated it a few times... Uh, it sunk in, and so that's what I did, and that was an absolute life-changer mm. and a really positive one, so I'm eternally grateful to my friend uh, for encouraging me to do that.
1: So you did that for Adelaide University, didn't you? you yeah. Explain, explain to, I mean, the concept of the public good has kind of disappeared from, the, you know, the national conversation. What's public health all about?
0: Uh, well, it could be anything from you know uh road safety to uh immunisation uh to he- diet and exercise so basically everything which keeps us healthy in the first place and uh yeah so it 's really important but it 's basically in academia it's a it's a very minor adjunct to medical schools it 's the poor cousin of the medical schools mm-hmm. uh either called public health or it used to be called community medicine yep. uh so yeah, but, you know, I think all of our lives could have gone in so many different directions and in my case I happened to stumble into this and to stumble into the office of a, a, of a left-wing academic mm. who probably sensed where I was at, which was that I was smoking way too much dope to and had absolutely no idea what I was doing with my life and, mm. Um, mm. yeah, just gave me some ideas and time uh, to do a whole lot of research and to uh, think things through and it worked out really well.
1: Yeah, because that's, you did find that in that period, a lot of uh, left-wing uh, academics in public health, oh, you know, yeah. people who did medicine and then they were pushed across into that into that field because it was the field you, you kind of gravitated to. Yeah. So what type of research did you do?
0: Uh, the honest, I had to do a bunch of coursework, but the mm-hmm. thesis was mm-hmm. called The Social Construction of Medical Unorthodoxies in Cancer Treatment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, in a nutshell, that was looking at the history of medicine and the history of this somewhat artificial division between orthodox and unorthodox medicine and looking at all sorts of patterns where Mm. if an an alternative form of medicine or an alternative specific therapy was becoming Mm. popular, it would be co-opted by the orthodox Mm -hmm. medical profession and also putting all of that in a political and economic context context where a lot of it was really competing uh, ideologies in a marketplace. So Mm. one clear example would be homeopathy, where if you were in 19th century America or perhaps Australia or England, uh, you could go to a hospital with doctors in white gowns uh, and they would give you invasive, ineffective treatments in the Orthodox Medical Hospital Or if you went to the homeopathic hospital, you'd have the white gown still and they would be giving you non-invasive, ineffective medicines. But at one level, it was much the same thing. They were competing in a marketplace and they didn't have an awful lot of Mm. idea about effective medical treatments. Mm. Did you move on to a master's or did you leave university? Uh, Well, I thought, again, having not much idea what to do with any of this stuff, I could have and possibly should have stayed with public health or that Mm. area, Mm. Uh, but... uh, I wanted to get out of Adelaide and my uh, honours oh. supervisor suggested doing a PhD thesis mm. and he just happened to stumble across uh, a guy at Wollongong University, so I'd actually decided to go to Wollongong before I had the faintest idea where Wollongong was, <laughs> so I can still remember now opening up an atlas with some trepidation and excitement to <laughs> work out where I'd be living. I think and I
1: think was uh, the first person I've ever heard say that they're excited and <laughs> Back yeah. to Wollongong oh, I mean, well. It makes you a very unusual person Jim
0: uh, Well on the map
1: <laughs> Well after, after living in Adelaide for what for 30 years or two, Yeah uh,
0: but uh, Wollongong's uh, got a bad reputation I mean um, it does have a lot of life there and a lot of politics And it is a beautiful part of the world And it's an hour away from Sydney It's mm. got an awful lot to re- recommend it. And at that stage this is uh, early to mid 90s now When all of the universities were getting conservative and Wollongong Uni was still something of a holdout and Mm. reasonably radical so I was Mm. very pleased to be there except for doing the PhD thesis which was an absolute killer. What (laughs) What was the PhD thesis? Uh, well after one or two false starts It ended up being about the leukocytes Nuclear research reactor and whether there was uh, The arguments for and against Replacing that, that nuclear research reactor So mm-hmm. that was my introduction to Nuclear politics which is what I've been doing ever since Was that a 180 degree turn for you? What did, why did you pick that particular topic? Um, well it seems to be a, a recurring thread through my whole life That I really had no idea what I was doing And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, an elderly woman called Heather Rice had been a long-term campaigner against the nuclear reactor at Lucas Heights because it's too close to suburbia and, and so on. And uh, she, she was invited down by the Wollongong Uni Students Association to speak at a lunchtime meeting, which was very well attended, and I was one of the people there. And it just occurred to me that that was an ideal fit because mm. I was in mm. a Department of Science and Technology Studies And I had a background in public health, which was one of the debates, so it just seemed a perfect fit. Did
1: you have trouble finding a supervisor
0: for the project? No, I had no no, no trouble at all. Uh,
1: Was the supervisor of much help, or you just did it yourself independently? Oh, the
0: supervisor was good. Mm. Um, When I first got to Wollongong, I had two supervisors, and they weren't speaking to each other. There was... uh, (laughs) <laughs> there was a, yeah, there was a division in the department, <laughs> and uh, they were there was a huge amount of hostility. I, I can't really remember why, <sighs> but.
1: Um, I assume it's a debate about whose name Should have appeared first on a paper they published
0: (laughs) Well it wasn't just those two It was the whole department was split into two factions Factions. Uh, I think some of it actually might have been One of a more of an academic bent Who were more into the history and philosophy of science And Mm. all that sort of stuff And others who were Uh, progressive or radical activists and there was a long history of that, much of it coming out of the nuclear debates, you know, Mm -hmm. anti-nuclear power campaigns from the 70s onwards and the academic people supporting that they would find themselves in these Mm -hmm. SDS, Science and Technology Studies departments, Mm -hmm. but without having a huge amount of interest in the more arcane academic work of history and philosophy of science Mm -hmm. So who, who eventually marked your PhD? Uh...
1: Was it a local or did it yeah. have to go overseas? Or?
0: There was one guy from mm. overseas mm. who was not hugely impressed but said it should be passed if I made some significant revisions. Mm. And the other guy was a Melbourne academic who was much more sympathetic. Mm. I think he was also much more sympathetic to anti-nuclear politics the, as well. Do you remember his name? Yeah, his name is Alan Roberts. You He's know, Alan just died recently. Oh, I didn't know that, yeah, but I was yeah, Alan wondering Roberts. that he might have. Yeah, he, um, died, he died
1: about uh, two months ago. It was a bitcher in the age. Yeah. I, I, knew, I, I knew Alan since the 1980s. We're yeah. actually yeah. neighbours, believe it or not. Oh, right. I actually, a house sit at his uh, house when he went overseas, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, look, you wouldn't have got a more radical uh, academic. He was a uh, you know left-leaning Marxist, uh, libertarian Marxist. So he, uh, I think Hal Greenland did a obituary which I saw in the Age a few days ago. Yeah. He died at ninety-three. Yeah. It's quite extraordinary. It's
0: incredible, isn't it? Well, he had a good innings, didn't he? Yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, he, he was one of the original anti-nuclear campaigners in the sixties.
0: Who's the other guy who died at the age of ninety-eight last year? Oh, I can't remember. Sorry. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. remember in a minute, but um. Yeah. anyway, you can't really complain. No, so, so you know, I've got uh, a long innings, haven't I? So
1: I'm going to have to call you Dr Green for the rest of the interview, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, you'll have to. David did you hear that? It's Dr Green from now on. Okay. <laughs> okay, all right. Now, now Dr Green, you, uh, you've got your doctorate from Wollongong University.
0: Are you employable? Well, no, I'm... <laughs> I'm uh, Not because I had a doctorate in the Humanities Department, but because I joined the uh, Democratic Socialist Party by that stage. The DSP. So I was uh, basically a a part-time DSP socialist activist and a part-time anti-nuclear activist and doing bits and pieces of academic part-time teaching work and part-time research assistant work. Didn't look on your
1: curriculum vitae when you look for a corporate job, did
0: it? Didn't look good or what? No, no. Yeah. In yeah. hindsight, I would uh, be more than happy as a public health academic or right. an STS academic. So, uh, yeah. But, you know, I've never worried about those sorts of things. You right. just move on, don't you? Well, you've yeah, no have em- option, have you? Employability has not been my strong point, no really. strong
1: point. Look, it's uh, almost 4.30. This is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Dale Bridge is doing all the technical stuff and uh, asking the occasional question. Uh, we're interviewing Dr. Jim Green, Academic Par excellence, <laughs> and uh, we'll now get on to the second part of his story, which I think will be a bit more exciting than the first part, hopefully. <laughs> 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 it's all right, Jim, relax. We've got. To put this. It's a long
0: interview. It's a long interview. So, how long did you last at Wollongong for? Well, just the five years of my PhD, as I was saying, it's a great place, Mm. Uh, it's just doing PhDs, it's a bad academic system where they throw people in the deep end like that, Mm. Uh, and it's just too much pressure, Mm. Uh, so that was extremely stressful, not just for me, but for pretty much everyone who has to go through that PhD system. But I loved it. made good friends there, playing lots of guitar and uh, guitar joining the DSP, and uh, that was interesting. F- and um, mm-hmm. can we get back to the guitar?
1: When did it all this? Yeah. Oh, uh probably.
0: Now as a musician? you just Yeah, <laughs> I'm only a I'm only a bad finger picking guitarist. I've got no pretences no. at all. No. But um, no, I did love it and did uh, play with a lot of great musicians in Wollongong actually. I wasn't one of them, but um, <laughs> I just happened to be friends with people in the arts department at Wollongong Uni mm, and uh, mm. some unbelievably good musicians, so that mm. was really good fun to be able to, to play with them sometimes. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but then up to Sydney. Yeah, but ha- ha- now,
1: back to the DSP. You joined the DSP in Wollongong? Yeah. Yeah, and what, what was the branch like there?
0: Well, it was okay. No. Uh, there would have been, I can't really remember, but no. maybe about eight. Right. Eight members or something, which yeah. is you know okay i 've been in plenty of campaign groups over the years with fewer members mm-hmm. than that, but yeah. I think eight is critical mass that we could function and stay alive and uh, right. and do some useful work yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I was quite the convert at the start, so I would be absolutely out there s- selling green left weeklies for five hours every week, Everyone. meeting my f- quota. Five hour meeting my quota even yeah. if we didn 't sell any papers but um. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah When when did you see the light? In the sense of getting out of the DSP Yeah uh, Well I burnt out I think a lot of uh, of people join in these socialist groups They do a decade and Mm. then they burn out Uh, Yeah yeah. And I just burnt out Unfortunately I burnt out at a really interesting time for socialist politics Because it was around about 2003 when all the groups had reluctantly put aside their differences and joined together to form the Socialist Alliance. So I think that was a time when socialist politics really could have grown and matured in Australia. But I was a bit too bent, out to be hugely involved. And the sad history of that is that I think ten groups joined together and nine of them split off, and then the last one that was standing split in half. So it was kind of a... The history of socialist politics well, in Australia in yeah, one little microcosm. Yeah. Well, <laughs>
1: at least you're a little bit better than the trots in Japan. I remember in the 70s, a whole group went up to the mountains for purification. 22 men up and three survived. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <a> true story. <laughs> this is when the Red Army Faction dies so, yeah. so you left Wollongong, so where
0: did you go? I went to Sydney. Sydney? And, uh, yeah. Why well, would a young uh,
1: boy from Adelaide go to Sydney? What? That's Sin City.
0: Yeah, well, I think... Uh, the Lucas Heights campaign was absolutely very much alive then and I was mm. heavily involved in that. Tell us about that campaign and your, your involvement. Yeah, well, it was good timing for me because i just finished my PhD about it, so I had a, a vast amount of information at my disposal. Mm. Um, and uh, the uh, Federal Science Minister, Peter McGoran, a red-headed guy from the Nationals, who you might remember. Yes, and his brother. Yeah. He an- oh, that's right. He had a brother. He announced on September 3, 1997, that a new reactor would be built at Lucas Heights, whether the locals liked it or not. Mm. And that they would clear the waste out of Lucas Heights. And he announced, they announced on the same day that they wouldn't be building a, uh, a new airport in Sydney. Uh, so that was part of a package deal. But, um, so I just jumped straight into that campaign and, uh, was heavily involved. And yeah, it was a great campaign to be involved in. I was, hadn't really had much campaign experience before that. Uh, but I was so impressed. It so was. What, what was your role in the campaign? I was the academic dude who had just finished a PhD right. and <laughs> was m- more than happy to. T- Anstow was the organisation that right, runs it, and yeah. I was more than happy to pick up Anstow on every one of their lies, of which they were kind of a face of the campaign, a media face. Or? Yeah, public yeah. meetings. We had lots of public meetings and mm. uh, debates mm. and uh, parliamentary inquiries, uh, putting in long submissions and then fronting up to these parliamentary inquiries. And mm. uh, yeah, a lot of media. So, um, mm. and uh, also being pretty closely connected to the to the grassroots local campaigners who uh, most of them didn't really have campaign experience. It was really a campaign led by local mums who mm-hmm. worked out how to do it from scratch mm-hmm. but was super effective. I think really think a lot of campaign groups now who tend to be a bit hopeless and uh, they could just learn a lot from mm-hmm. campaigns read by, led by local mums. They got to the stage where in the space of 24 hours they could produce a leaflet and have it letterboxed to 10,000 houses mm. just with local mums, mums. and, and mm. no support. That's effective, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, they were hugely effective and determined and, of course, their anger drove a lot of us. The sorts of things that would happen were the ants, they would show up at a a fight or affair with their radioactive sources Mm -hmm. and kids would steal the sources. So, you know, the next day you'd have the ASTO spokesperson saying they really need their radioactive source back and the journalists would say, is it dangerous? And they'd say, no. Mm -hmm. journalists would say, so you're quite happy to hold one then? And they'd say, oh, no, I'm not going to hold one, but it's not dangerous. (laughs) You put yourself in the position of a local Mm -hmm. mum and and local dads. Mm -hmm. They were absolutely outraged and were determined that this was not going to happen. And did it happen? Yeah, it did happen, unfortunately, so that was pretty sobering for everyone involved, but um, it probably wouldn't have happened if not for the fact that Howard won four or five le- elections in a row, but by that stage it was too late. Mm. But yeah, no, a pretty bitter experience mm. for me, but even more so for the local mums, some of whom left the area. Mm. So how long did you last in Sydney? Uh, that's a good question. Um
1: Five years Five years
0: And were you involved in any other campaigns during that period? Well, DSP work uh, DSP work So that right. was the Jabaluka uranium yep. campaign yep. Um, East Timor was a huge campaign mm. uh, French testing nuclear bombs was a big campaign mm. And the Lucas Heights stuff Which I was doing more or less separately And mm. writing for the newspaper Doing the environment coverage for Greenleaf Weekly right. And doing part-time academic teaching down right. at Wollongong so. And that's how you survived with the part-time teaching yeah, and, oh, uh, and Centrelink.
1: And Centrelink, right. I think by that time they kind of. I remember when I was an old bloke, a young bloke, they had uh, two dull offices. Yeah. One for the professionals and one for everybody else. Yeah. But that's all gone now. All gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's all been privatised. It was very pleasant. Mm. You know, you could have gone to the professional dull office, but I assume it'd been gone by the time you were, <laughs> you were an academic.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes. no, well it was good fun I would, uh, They would try to send me off to Mickey Mouse Courses yes, to yes. How to r- Write Your Job interview And I would just rock up there and say I've got a first class honours degree and a PhD And they'd say, see you later Yeah, that's exactly right <laughs> <great. laughs> So after Sydney, where did you rock to? I went to, back to Adelaide, which I never thought I would do but uh, um, Like family uh, commitments or? Uh, no, it was because of uh, another campaign Right this one was successful, thankfully. This was stopping the Howard government dumping nuclear waste in central South Australia on land which is precious to many Aboriginal groups who mm-hmm. were represented by the Cooper Pei Kungatuda, Tudor, mm-hmm. which was an elderly council of, uh, of Aboriginal women who took the lead on that campaign, uh, so they were so impressive and uh, what, what, what year was this this is uh, two thousand and Three three. to 2006 or seven now. um, uh,
1: So, what you were invited to go down to Adelaide, or did you decide on your own bat to go Yeah,
0: I put it to the ACF, as in my drinking buddy at the ACF, while we were having a drink at a pub in Sydney, you know. If only someone could find 250 bucks a week, then that that would keep me alive, and uh, I could work in Adelaide on this campaign, be much more effective than I was in Sydney. Uh, so they made that happen and I was paid 250 bucks a week and, uh, yeah, but an incredible campaign. I mean, th- the Aboriginal women were so inspiring in, in a similar way to the, the Sutherland Shire mums were inspiring in the campaign against the Lucas Heights reactor. It wasn't a campaign that you could drop because you would just feel guilt ridden for the rest of your life and, mm. uh, they would motivate us and inspire us. The Kunga Judo were, genuinely old, they'd seen it all many of them were victims of the British bomb tests survivors of the British bomb tests but you know I remember one day we had an all day meeting in Adelaide uh, finished up at four or five o'clock and we were exhausted and we just had to get to our homes in suburban Adelaide and the Kungas got into the back of a truck mm-hmm. and sat on wooden benches in the back of a truck for the nine hour drive back to Cooper Pedy. Mm-hmm. So that was that sort of devotion. One day they came down to sing In Ma, which is dancing and singing at a public meeting. We filled the town hall in Adelaide with a thousand plus people and uh, uh the Kungas came down and hit a bullock on the way down, but they still made it and mm. still performed and uh mm. Mm. yeah, so they were incredibly inspirational. So you, you went up to the meetings up at Cooper Pedy or? yeah we did have meetings at Cooper mm. Uh mm. And we would also go up to the closest town to where they wanted to build the dump was Woomera right. so we would meet the farmers who were being targeted and wow. speak to all these sorts how of people how did they
1: feel about it the
0: farmers uh, they were mixed yeah. some of them were hostile towards the dump and some of them were quite pro and quite hostile towards us so yeah. I remember at a meeting with a lot of these farmers where I had to Juggle these very competing attitudes, but, um, yeah, I mean, they were mixed, so they weren't going to be a united, strong voice against the dump. But everything comes around and turns around, doesn't it? Like, I remember participating in a, de- a debate, and the local federal Liberal member was a guy called Barry Wakelin. Mm. And he would say things like, well, it hasn't even been proved that this waste is radioactive yet. It's like, it's radioactive waste. It comes mm. from leukocytes. Of course it's effing radioactive. But he would say things like that. Mm. Uh, but now he lives at Kimber. Hmm. which is top of the Air Peninsula, and he's hmm. a farmer there, and that's being targeted for a national nuclear waste dump, and he's hostile now. He's doing <laughs> all these mea culpas about how I was wrong then. And <laughs> no, <laughs> so well, he's the most prominent the op- and uh, op- instantly recognisable voice in the campaign yeah, against right. a dump at Kimber.
1: I mean, what, what, what you're saying basically is effective campaigns and when people are directly affected, and they can actually... Directly see how it's going to affect them and their children and yeah. their land
0: values. And mm. I think that's right. Yeah. It's always been interesting, eh? If you look at say something like Japalukha, that is hundred percent applicable there mm. because it was Yvonne Margarula and her her family who led that campaign and was the absolute inspiration for it. Mm. Uh, mm. But it was interesting how that attracted a massive social movement all around Australia. You know, mm. I mean, many people from free, free CR would go down there every year
1: for that campaign yeah I take yeah. like a month off and
0: I, know, I go all the way up to Jabaluka and mm. uh, uh, It was amazing wasn't it and an mm. international campaign against mm. that too so it's uh, mm. I think mm. it probably always needs always needs that local leadership yeah. and inspiration mm. But I've spent the last twenty years trying to work out what the recipe is for a social movement like Jabaluka where you could get exponential growth instead of incremental growth. growth. Mm. I don't have any answers, but uh.
1: So you worked your way out of a job in South Australia by winning that struggle.
0: Yeah, well, happy days.
1: You made yourself redundant.
0: Yeah, and yeah, well, we should dwell on that if only because it was such an incredible win for the Conkers. And mm, um, mm. what do you think they won? Well, I mean, the H- Howard government was very powerful at that stage. Yeah, they and they were determined. Uh, they won because well, the Congress themselves were so were united and determined, and they had sign off from all their relevant groups from mm. uh, to speak on behalf of the campaign. So there was no no real divisions. Division. No, they were very effective in getting Greenie support uh, initially, just by writing a letter to the Greenies, quote unquote. Yep. yep with the help of Sister Michelle Madigan who was kind of the liaison point and then uh, Claire Brown and Nina Brown who were greenies working here in Melbourne, they went all the way to live in Cooper Pedy mm. and they, they acted as the the liaison point between the Kungers and, and the Greenies mm. uh, South Australian government took the federal government to court, that was vital uh, David Noonan from the Australian Conservation Foundation played a, a massive role working on that campaign for five odd years and Absolutely belting the government up at every stage of it and filling up the town hall with a thousand people and just mm, mm. an incredible role. But all of those things coming together and uh, a court case which found that the uh, federal government had illegally used the urgency provision of the Land Acquisition Act and the government could very easily have gone back to and used the Land Acquisition Act uh, mm. Again, but by that stage They'd been beaten up so much And we'd already gone through three or four different ministers And yeah. the election uh, Federal election was coming up in 2004 And there was definitely a couple of seats That could have been swung So mm. Howard announced on I think it was July the 14th 2004 mm. That they would give up And luckily for Friends of the Earth I'd just stepped into a role at Friends of the Earth then and uh, we were, we're, were in Adelaide, or yeah, we no. were just about to head off for our annual radioactive exposure tour. Hmm. So, hmm. Uh, yeah, that became our annual radioactive catching up on a sleep tour and catching up with the Kungas tour hmm. Hmm. and uh, celebrating with kangaroo tails and a little bit of alcohol that we weren't meant to have. And yeah, hopefully, not dark ale. Yeah, no, but um, yeah, it was uh, incredible, it was just great mm. Everything becomes worthwhile when you put five odd years of your life into it mm. And you get a win like that, and you get to celebrate with the Cungas, it was, it was really good mm. So when did you move to Melbourne? In 2006 Why? Uh, because uh, there was a job going here A as job? The, as the Quite National... What, an activist? Yeah, yeah, there's not many, it didn't last too long um, <laughs> What was the job? A national nuclear campaigner with Friends of the Earth right, Which right. is a position I've still got It's just that most of the time it's either not paid Or it's oh, there's only a little bit of pay attached to it But at that stage there was some funding And uh, so I was paid full time for a couple of years mm. So what did you do for those first few years when you were paid full time? Well that was a pretty crazy time too because John Howard who had made nuclear power illegal in Australia went to the US and uh, was convinced that nuclear power was the best thing since sliced bread by uh, George Bush the second, and in particular he was convinced by this crazy scheme called GNAP, the Global Nuclear Energy Partnership and it was going to be uh, controlling the, the worldwide nuclear industry and limiting enrichment and reprocessing plants because of their connection to nuclear weapons and finding somewhere to dump all the nuclear waste uh, which could have been Australia of course but Howard was completely sold on this and was crazy brave you uh, you might or might not remember Howard was getting up in Parliament saying oh, I'm not going to rule out anything I'm not going to rule out nuclear power for Along yeah, yeah, or yeah. Port Augusta or, oh, or mm. Perth or anything so it was a crash or a crash approach by Howard and he got Ziggy Switkowski uh, to get some of his pro-nuclear mates to write a pro-nuclear report but again a federal election was coming up so Howard made Swickowski release his report um, and the dying days of uh, December 2006 so that it could be effectively buried mm. and that Howard could go into the 2007 election without too much nuclear power baggage mm. hanging around his neck. And, uh, of course, Howard got kicked out of that election. So that was the end of that particular
1: push. Yeah. Now, look, I'm going to ask you a very simple question because... Obviously, nuclear power is always in the news. It's kind of been touted now as the alternative, you know, as far as global warming is concerned. What are the main issues that you have with nuclear power?
0: Well, globally, there's one which is head and shoulders above the rest, and that is its connection to nuclear weapons proliferation and uh, I won't go into much detail. No, no. One example is right here in Australia where the only serious push for nuclear power was in the late 60s under Prime Minister John Corton who later acknowledged that there was a hidden weapons agenda Mm -hmm. but all around the world you can see these problems and uh, there's no real way around the problem in a technical sense. You could have a really strict safeguard system to provide a firewall but they don't and uh, globally that's by far the biggest problem. In Australia there's this problem you could call radioactive racism that also applies in the US and no doubt in a number of other countries around the world where the racism is just so systemic and uh, so grotesque that that has been a really powerful motivator for me and for many other people who've been involved in, in anti-nuclear politics. What do, you
1: mean, what do you mean by that? Explain it in black and white. The well...
0: Ongoing attempts to dump nuclear waste on Aboriginal land or things like uranium mining, Mm -hmm. where for absolutely no justifiable reason whatsoever, Mm -hmm. uh, Olympic Dam in South Australia is largely exempt from the Aboriginal Heritage Act and uranium exploration in New South Wales is largely exempt from the New South Wales Aboriginal Heritage Act and same patterns in uh, WA and the Northern Territory. uh, There's the Aboriginal Land Rights Act, but there's Mm. a specific clause in that Act which exempts the range of uranium mines so that Mm. the company could go ahead and mine that without Aboriginal uh, support. Mm. How
1: about the technical issues that that used to be raised? Are they still issues?
0: Well, I mean, catastrophic accidents is Mm. still very much an issue. I mean, Fukushima has been catastrophic in every sense of the word. There's still 50, 60-odd thousand people who are displaced because of that, of the original 160,000 who were displaced Uh, the direct costs of that are around about $240 billion but you add in all the indirect costs and it's easily topping uh, half a trillion dollars or $500 billion Uh, a death toll will be in the low thousands probably and a huge amount of stress and disease on top of that And that was, of course, in a a country with a lot of nuclear experience and a lot of nuclear expertise. And everyone knew the industry was totally corrupt in Japan and we were often bleating about it and we were always ignored. And Mm -hmm. Australia fed that with Australian uranium. Mm -hmm. The mining companies and successive prime ministers and governments couldn't give a stuff about the corruption in the Japanese nuclear industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, of course, the other one is nuclear waste, which I guess circles straight back to... um, to radioactive racism and also a couple of years ago the South Australian government decided that it was wanting to go down this nuclear path and that it wanted to host the world's high level nuclear wastes so that has kept us incredibly busy for a couple of years but uh, it all fell apart after a couple of years in late 2016 so that's dead and buried for the time being but proposals like that seem destined to resurface every mm. once in a while
1: mm. i don't know if you remember the uh, french island proposal here in, in the 1950s yeah henry volte well, and
0: yeah. friends of the earth was uh, born on french island i had right. their first national meeting on french island you yep. know yep. they decided to have the meeting there because it was being targeted for a nuclear reactor
1: yeah that's right to supply power yeah. in melbourne and now if you go to french island you just wouldn't
0: even dream of it. Yeah, well, Jervis Bay, we, we took our radio, radioactive exposure tour to Jervis Bay on the New South Wales coast a couple of years ago and uh, mm. there's a hill and they've chopped the side out of a, a, a hill and that was where the reactor was going to be and there's a car park there. But um, mm. uh, it's one of the most beautiful bays I've ever seen. It's absolute picture postcard stuff. Mm. And that's where they were going to build Australia's First nuclear power reactor that Mm. would be producing the plutonium that John Gorton was very interested in. Mm. So what are you doing these days in Melbourne?
1: Well we don't want to know about your brewing career but you know. Yeah
0: (laughs) my home brewing. Um well I still work as the National Nuclear Campaigner for Friends of the Earth. Mm. What does that entail? Uh Anything and everything, it can vary a lot, but at the moment the uranium mining industry is moribund and so that's not a huge focus, but there are still proposals for a national nuclear waste dump in South Australia and other places in around Australia potentially nominating themselves for this national nuclear waste dump. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a, a side job which takes up most of my time which is i'm the editor of a publication called the nuclear monitor what's that uh that's published by wise who are based in amsterdam the world information service on energy and NERs, the nuclear information and resource service and they're based in uh, maryland in the u.s that's a lot of that's that's a lot of pulling together isn't it as editor yeah oh yeah yeah it's incredibly time consuming so we Publish twenty of these nuclear monitors every year. So, that
1: so, so, so what, what does um, what do you concentrate on in the nuclear monitor in the publication?
0: Well, that's part of the trouble, really, is we try to be broad and uh, cover everything and anything. In my case, uh, you know, I, I start from my strengths, which is issues like the overlap between peaceful nuclear programs and weapons mm-hmm. production, or this issue of radioactive racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to get out of my comfort zone and learn new issues So just recently I wrote a very long article about the nuclear industry in Saudi Arabia where there's open interest in, uh, in stepping from a peaceful nuclear program to weapons production and it's just such a clear lesson and there's so much to be learned from it but all of the western suppliers are absolutely jumping in there and couldn't care less whether Saudi Arabia built nuclear weapons mm-hmm. and that's um, well, other yeah. things are still just a black hole for me I mean I'd, Eastern Europe is beyond my comprehension and I've got no language skills other than English so I just have to rely on others to fill in some pretty vast gaps in mm-hmm. in my knowledge and in my geographical coverage
1: Is, is, this, is this a magazine or a Publication which is accessible
0: Yeah Or or do you subscribe Or how how does it work You subscribe Mm. uh, But after a couple of months It goes up on the web for free so um, so, So where would people find it our paper could search for "Wise Nuclear Monitor" and uh, right. and find it pretty easily. And nice. uh, yeah, no, I love it. It's my absolute dream job. Coming from an academic background, is to be researching, researching and writing on these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do, you have any, just, uh, do you have any
1: any, any editorial function? You
0: know, any
1: editorial um, kind of? You're on the editorial board, or how does yeah, it work?
0: Uh, well. A lot of it's done at my own discretion, really. I'd love to say I have an editorial board. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you are the editorial board. Yeah, yeah a lot of these things, it's groups, it's like which that, are, yeah. gr- people and groups which are small and overstretch. Yeah. so I have a lot of discretion, but right. I think that's fine, that's probably yeah, that's to, fine. Yeah, the yeah. way I want to work is uh, yeah. to have things at my own discretion. So,
1: so you expect to be doing this for years?
0: Yeah, well, I think so. Um, mm. I would say I'm pretty much entirely unemployable in other respects and right. I've got 25 years of nuclear research behind me. Right, right. Uh, So the only way it could really change is if I switch, become one of these pro-nuclear environmentalists <laughs> and start working up at ANSTER or something like that. Well,
1: you never know what can happen in the, in the big wide world, yeah. Jim. You never know.
0: But, uh, no, it's interesting actually because uranium, the uranium industry is... In a world of trouble, and nuclear power globally is totally going backwards, and likely to go backwards at a faster rate. So mm, uh, mm. we kind of rejoice at this idea of an existential crisis for the uh, nuclear industry. That's but right. the flip side of that is, what does a 50-plus-year-old anti-nuclear campaign <laughs> <like to> do <laughs> You're going to work—that's that, the history
1: of your life. You work yourself yeah. out of a job every time. Yeah. I mean, it's just not good enough. You'll just have to yeah. retire on your laurels. You're too?
0: Good. No, I've really just got one image, which is uh, uh shelves at Woolworths really <laughs> uh, Look,
1: you're too old mate, don't even bother applying yeah. There's a lot of young kids who are doing those jobs Although I've seen a few older people lately yeah. Look, we've been interviewing a Dr. Jim Green Who's had an extraordinarily interesting life Because he's made it interesting Have you got any parting words for our younger listeners? The younger listeners
0: Yeah, oh, well, better active today than radioactive tomorrow and uh, get that's, that's, a, that's an old slogan,
1: come on, something new yeah. come on Jim
0: uh, oh, I'm not sure if I've got it something new yeah. our, our new slogan at Foe is it's a, it's a share house not a warehouse oh mm-hmm. right okay. <laughs> it's not a, I can see you weren't happy about that one <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really good slogan it's just a matter of everyone living up to it because it is pretty easy to use Foe we've got the huge office down there and yeah, it is yeah. a bit tempting to use it as a dumping ground
1: yeah, yeah. look Jim uh, all the best for the future thank you for putting so much effort into such an important uh, issue and campaign over the years and if it isn't for activists like yourselves who were, like yourself who are willing to make the effort things don't change and it just proves that uh, the power of one thank you very much and thank you for coming to the studio
0: yeah that's my pleasure thanks for having me